All right, so welcome to Genesis. If you are new with us, let me explain a little bit about what's going on. We call this Family Sunday, and the reason for that is because what goes on on a Sunday morning is far more than just what happens in the room. It's also what goes on outside of this room, in the kids' classrooms. It's what goes on uh, at homes, in community groups, and so all that we do is a part of our mission to make disciples, and so that's something that we want to do. We try to take three or four times a year and just recognize that what's going on is broader than us. So kids, this service is more for you than your parents, and you can tell them I said that. Uh, we do at our, uh, at our church want to support ministry to children, youth, their families, and, um, and also support what God's doing in and around our city. So I'm going to give you one opportunity. It won't be in the announcements. This will be the announcement for it, and it's kind of a standalone opportunity. This is at my brother's church. My brother serves as an elder at Redeemer Church in Tomball. Some of you do CC there. Some of you know the leaders there, uh, but he's there, and I got an SOS text from him. It wasn't really an SOS. He's like, hey, fellows who have work at other churches, because my family all works at or serves at churches because we're weird, and he said, I, I, we have a orphan care ministry uh, and a foster care ministry, and we do these parent night, night out it's about once a quarter, and the one that we have this coming Saturday, so like this Saturday, not yesterday, we have more signed up to participate in it than we have volunteers. We like to have a one-to-one -one ratio of adults to uh, foster adoptive children. And so would anybody at your church be willing to serve on Saturday from 3.30 to 7.30, afternoon into the evening to give these parents of foster and adoptive children some time away. And so I don't know all of the, the expectations for that. My brother Dale would know more, but 3.30 to 7.30, you have to be an adult. So you have to be a legal adult to participate in this. So uh, you can't go, hey, can I bring my son? And we kind of serve with that. Can't do that. Uh, this is something for 18 and up to participate in. At their church, they have people between 22 and 72 who serve in this. And uh, they, again, pair up one, one adult to one buddy, and you just get to play games, give them attention, care for them as a way to support the ministry to foster adopted families. This is not actually a ministry for foster and adopted families at Redeemer. It's a ministry for foster and adopted families in the area. And so a lot of the families that you'll be supporting don't go to that church. They don't go to any church even sometimes. And so if you are available to do that and you have my number or my email address, just text me. I'll take my phone out of my pocket so it doesn't buzz at me while this is going on. Uh, text me. If you want to email us, you can email, and I will give my brother any information of people who want to serve, and he'll take it from there. So that, like, that's our role. Like, there's not going to be like a cohort that meets here and then drives over. Like, if you want to do it, we'd love for you to be able to do it. We don't want to just support the work of the gospel through Genesis, but the work of the gospel through the world. And so sometimes that's in stuff going on here, and at other times that's in items that are going on at other churches. So a great opportunity to participate and serve families who are serving the Lord and serving children who don't have families. So this is going to be a great opportunity for some of you even here. So if that's something you could do, even one of you, two of you, great time. So with that, I think I just scored a few of my, a few points from, with my brother um, he'll owe me something. No, I actually asked the elders, can we, can we talk about this? Because I'm very I'm particular about using a space like this for my own gain. And so when my brother's asking for me for something, I'm like, you guys tell me if you think it's a good idea, and I'll just tell Dale uh, yes or no. So I'm not voting on this. So they said, go for it, sounds good. And there you go, there's your opportunity. Now, end scene, begin sermon. Bennett, thank you for reading. 
Uh, just kids in the room, I need you to yell this out. You're better at this than your adults. Adults only make jokes, kind of yell out jokes, but you guys don't care. So here's what I would like to hear from you. What are some of your favorite breakfast foods? Anything? Taco, I heard tacos? Eggs? Pancakes? Brie and toast? Breakfast burrito. I thought you said brie and toast. Like, man, cheese and toast. All right. This is exactly how kids' ministry goes. I can't, I don't know who's saying what. So we'll do it this way. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Calvin. What'd you say? Egg taco. That's great. Got another one. Yeah, go ahead. Ooh, what kind of cereal? What kind of cereal do you make me eat, Dad? Probably Wheaties. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms. Those are the only three cereals. Oh, we have one in the back. Yep. I couldn't hear it. What did you say, Justin? Okay, man. You got like healthy eaters. Davis? Eggs. Golly, eggs. Uh, that's crazy. So, like, anybody, like, just like Fruit Loops? Yeah, Abram's a Fruit Loops eater. Yeah, Fruit Loops, definitely Fruit Loops. Uh, breakfast tacos, I heard some of that. Breakfast burritos. Uh, eggs, just eggs. Who likes bacon? Yeah, there we go. Okay, this is Texas. So, we, like, we all like bacon here. Uh, some of you are weird and just have protein shakes for breakfast. Like, anybody just have a protein shake? Yeah, Jacob's a protein shake. Yeah, uh, but it's just like, I'm like, don't drink your breakfast. Eat your breakfast if you're going to have it. Golly, uh, like, that's, that's what it's there for. Yeah, breakfast is, it's my favorite meal. It, like, if somebody's like, hey, let's go have breakfast, I'm like, let's, I don't care if it's 3 o'clock on a Tuesday. I'm like, okay. That sounds great. Like, where do you want to go? Waffle House? What's open? Because most breakfast places kind of close at two unless you're Waffle House. And then you got to scrape the syrup off your seat, but it's still good. Yeah. And who are some of your favorite breakfast people? Do you, do, do, you, do you invite people over to breakfast or do you just usually eat it with your family? Davis? I could hear. Waffles? Are we still talking, talking about food? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite breakfast people are waffles. Mine too. Yeah, so how many of you just eat breakfast usually with your family? Yeah, breakfast is kind of a, an interesting meal because it happens early in the morning, and we don't like people to see us early in the morning. We kind of look like garbage, and we're, just, and we're groggy. Sometimes we're jerky, and so it's not generally the meal that we're like, you know what? Let's go ahead and see everybody. Let's just, let's just get everybody together and let's have breakfast. You really have to prepare for it, don't you? So like when I go, Mike and I have breakfast, so we have coffee and yogurt together, uh, which is literally what we had last time we got together, coffee and yogurt. I have to prep for it. I have to be like, okay, I got to get up, get dressed, do my hair. Like it's much easier to just usually have my oatmeal and craisins and coffee without anybody having to see me, you know, not dressed like, you know, these are my pastor clothes, like a pastor. But it's true. And now think about meals, think about breakfast or morning time. The people who you spend meal time with and the people who you will invite into those spaces, especially in those like not lunch, not those social or more public times, lunch and dinner, but breakfast, that's a pretty intimate meal. It's a meal that you have with a select group of people. And unless you really get up for it, you're probably not just having that with anybody. And yet, as we are in the Gospel of John, and we only have two sermons left. Some of you are like, praise the Lord. 
We only have two left, two sermons left in the Gospel of John. John 21, people call this the epilogue, which just means kind of what comes after the main stuff. We had Jesus' resurrection in John chapter 20. We spent, I believe, three weeks in Jesus' resurrection accounts, and we're continuing these resurrection accounts in John 21, but we've changed the location, and now we're north, and we are in Galilee. The Sea of Tiberias is also the Sea of Galilee. It's also the Sea of Chinnereth at times, just depending on its name. So we're moved north from Jerusalem to Galilee, which is actually what Jesus told, the disciples were told to do, go to Galilee and you'll see him again. But we get to see how Jesus shows care for his disciples in this third post-resurrection account. And my favorite thing about this is it includes breakfast. It, like, and that doesn't seem like a big deal, but this includes breakfast. And not only breakfast, but breakfast made by the creator of the universe. Like, he made the breakfast. And I wonder, like, the fish, does the fish have any say in this? Like, he made the fish, and then he killed the fish, and then he cooked the fish, which is kind of odd. But Jesus is there with the disciples, they don't know it's him yet, and what he has been doing on the beachside is preparing breakfast. This is all getting to the very end of the Gospel of John in John chapter 21, right at the end, where he reinstates Peter. Peter has denied him three times, and so we're preparing for a walk on the beach with Jesus and Peter, which is actually how we will end the Gospel of John next week. But what we get to see in today's passage is, again, how Jesus shows care And as we move through this in John 21, 1 through 14, we're going to see how the disciples are a bit confused about what what is to happen. We're going to see then how Jesus reminds the disciples of his power and provision. Some of the video that you saw, Jesus' power and the disciples are starting to realize who he is. And then I'm going to give you this idea of fellowship that Jesus invites his disciples to fellowship. And then we'll have something to do as a family. So if you have one of these kids, like one of these that you grab from the front and there's three things on it, the question mark will be our first idea. All the fish will be our second. And then this family having a meal. It looks like there are salad tongs in that, but let's just pretend those are taco tongs, breakfast taco tongs, okay? That's what those are going to be. Then there's a family having breakfast. That's what that's going to be. So confused person, a lot of fish and tacos. That's what we're going to get. My child is the one who doesn't get the book, but gets the food. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Plenty of snacks in the back. If any kid needs to get up while this is going on, your parents give your permission, you can go do that as well. But let's start with this idea. This is the confused face, and I hope you can give me the the best idea for it. But the word you can write under that or words are commissioned but confused. If you just want to write confused, that's fine too, because that person just seems confused doesn't he or she? And so this is what we're going to see. The disciples have been commissioned but confused. Now, what does it mean to be commissioned? It means to be sent to do something, that the disciples have been sent to do something. Jesus actually has said this, and we've seen this theme throughout the resurrection accounts, where even with Mary at the very beginning, Jesus reveals himself to her, and then he says, don't cling to me, but go and tell my brothers that I'm risen. And so being a disciple includes belonging to Jesus and speaking about Jesus. 
it's not, it's not one plus one equals two. It's kind of, they come together. There's two movements, but it's, it's one thing. You don't just come to Jesus, but you also speak of Jesus. You talk about Jesus. You declare things about Jesus. You, you share him with your school friends, and you talk about him with your family. And, and so we recognize that, that being a disciple is, in, is both of these. It's both belonging to him and speaking of him. But at this point in time, we still recognize the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet, and the disciples are a bit confused in what they're going to do. He actually just reminded them that they're going to be sent into the world. We heard about that last week or two weeks ago. They're going to be sent into the world. And so you'd expect them to be sent into the world, but rather they're, they're at Galilee and they're about to go fishing. We see in John 21, one, uh, verse 1, who's there, verse 2, who's there, and then verse 3, you see this. Simon Peter, that's our buddy Peter. He chops guy's ears off. He denies Jesus. He's so sure he'll never deny Jesus. He's like you and me. And he says, I'm going fishing. Now, why would he go fishing? Does anybody know, any kid here know why Peter would want to go fishing at this point in time? What do you think, Augs? To feed people? That could be a good reason. Yeah, because that's his job. Like, that's what he's been known to do. These disciples are fishermen. And so when they're not really sure what's going on, they're kind of going back to what they know how to do. I got to earn a living. I have to feed people. I have to care for people. And so they're going back to what that previous identity was. I'm going to go fishing. You see something in even Peter's leadership right here because the disciples say to him, we will go with you. We'll all go together and we'll fish together. Anybody here who's fished understands this last statement. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I have been fishing two times in the past 25 years, 30 years. If you don't count me like putting bait on kids' hooks at like an event in my neighborhood or weighing fish at that at said event. And one time was with my dad when I still lived in the house. So you know that was a while ago. And we went out on Lake Conroe and we caught nothing. Nothing. The next time was in Louisiana. And if you've ever been fishing off the shore of Louisiana, that's the real fishing. And you get guides, and they bait your hook and throw it in the water, and they'll even reel it in for you. If you're like, I'm tired. This is a big yellowfin tuna. Can you just get it for me? And they're like, yeah, sure, just trade it off. And you put the belt on, like hooks to you, and you're, Ugh. it's like the, you don't even need to do deadlifts if you just go fishing. Because all you're doing the whole time is like, you spend an hour and a half reeling it in, and then some shark comes and eats the fish, and it's all over anyways. So two times in about the past 25 years, one time I caught nothing, and the other time I caught stuff only because there was somebody there who knew what they were doing. But it can be the most deflating thing to fish all night and find no fish. They go back to what they know, and what they know is not even providing for them what they thought it would. At least when you catch a fish, I mean, you could catch a fish every two hours, and and you could go for 10 hours, you catch five fish, and you will feel like that is a productive time of fishing. Now, these disciples would fish with nets, so you have even a better chance. It's not just one you know, lure out in the water like we try to do it. They're going to throw a net in there, and they're going to bring that net up, and whatever's in there, they're going to catch. So all night, they're fishing, probably exhausted, and they have nothing to show for it. And this just, just as a little footnote, this always reminds me of what it's like to try and live life without Jesus. When you try and live life without Jesus, even the things that you know you should do aren't as fulfilling as the things that 
you do with Jesus. That they, like, like, the, like even ordinary tasks have significant meaning if they're done recognizing the presence and power and provision of Jesus. The disciples fish all night and they catch nothing. They're commissioned, but in this time between the spirit and what's going on, they're still just not sure. They're dense like you and like I would be. But then, what needs to happen? Who needs to show up, Augie, in this point in time? Who needs to show up? There you go. Something needs to happen to turn an ordinary, unproductive night of fishing into a significant, life-transforming time of fishing. And that is the presence of Jesus. Great. It's the presence of Jesus. That's this second one, okay? So I want you to write the word power, Right here under all those fish, if you're following along and you're coloring, write the word power right here. So we have confusion, we have power right there, and this is what's about to happen. So now the sun is coming up. You know, well, our day's done. We've, we've now done our fishing. They're there on the Sea of Galilee. They've caught nothing. They're about 100 yards offshore just fishing. It's not the deepest of waters, and so you can still get into it, trying to find fish, trying to find fish. No luck, no luck, no luck. So listen to this in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Well, it's very hard 100 yards away to know who's who when the sun's coming up, and so there's just a guy out there, as you would think when you're fishing and you see another boat across the way, and you go, have you caught anything? Right? Like, 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 you know, do, you, do you know what's going on? And so what could it be but just another fisherman on the shore asking a question to them about how effective their night has been? So that's what happens. Jesus says, children, which is like little kids, kiddos. That's the way he's talking to them right now. Do you have any fish? They answered, no. That's how my kids answer, no. So he said this to them. Now this could sound funny to you and me, if you're the fisherman in the boat, you're going to have one of two responses. So he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, when somebody asks that or makes that statement to you and you've been fishing all night, again, you have two responses. The response of the seasoned fisherman is, buddy, there are no fish over there. I'm telling you, we've been at it all night. No fish Nothing, no, no, no choice. That's one response. But after a long night of fishing, might you be a little tired? And you just go, you know what? It's worth a shot. I think it's more the second, right? It's kind of like, worth a shot. The guy's saying there's going to be some over there. Maybe he saw something. Might as well try it. Nothing else is working. So let's just try it. And they throw it over and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, probably John, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. Might have just been wearing like what we would just consider underwear, like just out there in the water. He's not in the boat. He's in the water. He's kind of girded up everything and he's doing his work like you would see some guy working and fishing. It's like, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna go fishing in the sea like this. You're gonna be dressed for work. 
And so he's wearing very few clothes and he sees the Lord and he just has to take whatever garments he had and be a little more presentable for the Lord. And so he puts some clothes on and he runs out to him. Now, I love this because this is classic Peter. And some of your siblings are probably like this. I don't know in your family who's like this, but what happens is there are a whole lot of fish in the net and Peter's like, see you guys, I'm going to Jesus. And so if you're like, if you're the one, probably the firstborn in your family, you're like, oh, here he goes again, right? Peter clearly doesn't know what it's like. And so uh, the firstborns all stay, stay beside and do that. Peter's probably like the thirdborn. He's like, I just get whatever I want. So I'm gonna go straight to Jesus. And everybody else is going, I guess we'll just take care of this. So Peter's, he is on his way and he goes. The rest of the disciples drag this net full of fish about a hundred yards off to get to the shore with all the fish. Now, this is interesting. Why would a whole bunch of fish showing up remind them of Jesus? Never thought of that? Maybe he's just a good fisherman. But in fact, Jesus has done this before. He did this in the Gospel of Luke early on in his ministry, Luke chapter 5. He actually tells them in verses 1 through 11, he goes, cast your net over here, and they pull up all these fish, and there are so many fish, the nets are breaking. And they were sinking. And Simon Peter saw it, Luke 5, 8, and he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so it's almost like the disciples go, I've heard, I've seen this before. I know what's going on. I'm not going to miss it this time. So John, that's the Lord. And Peter's like, cool, see ya. He's on his way. Everybody else who went with him, all right. And they have to bring this boat and these nets back. Jesus actually says after this, and this shows again commission and confusion in Luke 5. Jesus says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And he uses this to highlight what the work of the disciple is to be. Declaring, talking, casting net, sowing seeds, and bringing people in, and sharing the good news in hopes that others would come in and enjoy life with Jesus. And so I love Peter because Peter's always, throughout the gospel of Peter or John, we have been seeing these, uh, these multiple levels of when John's using a word, light and dark, it's going to mean physical light, physical dark, spiritual light, spiritual darkness. So Peter's been, or John's been using these throughout the gospel. And what we also get to see in these moments, this huge haul of fish, Jesus has told the disciples what they're to be doing And so all of these connections, not only this, but we'll learn in this passage, the net's not breaking. The net was doing different things in Luke 5. And so there's this whole different reality all taught through fish catching. And this is where it gets cool. We talked about all of our favorite breakfast foods. We probably don't think of fish fillets as top breakfast food. Some of you might like fish tacos, but you're probably having them for dinner anyways. Jesus is making fish for breakfast. And you can write right here in this one, when you see the people eating their fish tacos, we'll call it, invitation. Right there. They write the word invitation right there, because what you get in this moment 
<clears throat> is Jesus inviting his disciples to fellowship early in the morning when no one else is around. And I've shared this before, and I love this about Jesus. Because Jesus never makes a mistake. He does everything the Father tells him to do, always in the right place at the right time. And so we can have confidence that at that point in human history, there was no other place for the Son of God to be than on the shore of a beach cooking breakfast for some guys who were confused about who he was and what was to be done. And the reason I love that is because Jesus does the same thing for you and me all the time. He visits us. He cares for us. He deals with our doubts. He handles our confusion. He demonstrates his love and his care. And in fact, in John 13, do we remember what John 13 is about? Kids, you remember the John 13? I'll give you an idea. It included water. It included a towel. And it included feet. Does anybody have an idea of what Jesus did in John 13? What do you think, Corbin? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. That's right. And so, and, and he says about this, if I've done this for you, you should do this for others. But then what do you have in John 21? Is Jesus cooking the disciples' breakfast. He actually, it wasn't like John 13 happened and then his service for the disciples ends. He's still doing it. He's still caring. He's still demonstrating care. He's providing for them, even when they weren't even thinking about it. And this is Christ's heart for you, his care for you, and his love for you, and the intentionality that he will have even with you to show up, to be present, to love, to care, and extend his grace to you. And that is what ha- that's what the disciples need in a moment like this. And so what we see in 19, or 9 through 14, is the invitation to fellowship. This will follow because, remember, 21 is happening in one morning. It's not happening over the course of multiple days. And so when we get to 21, the back end of John, next week, it's still the same event. It's Jesus with the disciples. This is all happening at the same time. So even though seven days will pass between now and next week, it's all still the same moment. And the invitation is to fellowship. It's restoration. It's care. It's going to be reminding Peter that Jesus has plans for Peter, even though Peter might feel like a failure for denying Jesus three times. All of this is under the sovereign and good and gracious care of Jesus. This whole moment, superintended by Jesus to remind the disciples of what he's called them to and how he cares for them. And there's this invitation to fellowship. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Fish and loaves just keep showing up, don't they? Jesus is always doing stuff with fish and loaves to feed people. Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn, unlike it's happened before. So now we have this untorn net. Why would there be a number? Why would there be 153? Well, there are a couple of reasons. If you're fishing with a bunch of buddies, you're going to want to have your portion. So if there's five of us and we're fishing and I want to know how many there are because we're going to divide that number by five. And I did before, six, whatever it is. So that's thing number one. And thing number two is just the enormous provision that you see by Jesus in that moment. Right? Jesus isn't just giving us a fish. He's, giving, like, he's going to be feeding families for weeks on this stuff. It's just abundant. 
His provision is abundant. We've talked about this before, and it's something that we go back to over the course of months at this church, which is we just view Jesus being like, okay, well, you're going to catch the one fish that you need. That's it. But when he shows up and demonstrates his power and his provision and his care, what happens but a huge haul? Also for the fishermen in the room, anybody, fishermen, fisherwomen, fisher people, whatever you want me to call you, fisher peeps. You best believe that when you've had a good fishing day, you're telling all your friends the precise number. I mean, we're not so humble that we're not going to be like, I caught an eight and three quarter pound bass. Not nine, you might roll it, round it up to nine, but you're not going to say eight and a half if it's eight and three quarters. You're not going to say it was 21 inches if it were 22. You were always going to say, now we know the story, how big did it get, right? Always going to say what you got, because that's what we do. And then we're weird, and we just put all these fish on hooks, and we, with all our buddies, take pictures in front of them. Like we had a lot to do with it. Like, there we are. Look at all these fish we caught. I remember doing that one time. My buddy Jason, he didn't know how to put the, like, put the fish on the little thing at the pier. And so he just jammed that fish's eye through the, like, it was like, <clears throat> I was like, I don't think we've done this before. I don't think we know how to fish or even act like we've fished. We can't even show up and act like we've been here before because we don't know what we're doing. Let's just pay the guy to cut it all up for us and freezer, freeze pack it so at least we can eat it because we certainly can't catch it and we can't even take cool pictures by it. But Jesus is there and he invites them to breakfast in verse 12. What does he say? Come have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, I wanted to show you a couple of things. We talked about the invitation of Jesus, but notice that John talks about a specific kind of fire in John 21.9. There's a charcoal fire. If you were with us, there are some clues I gave you when we preached this sermon in John chapter 18, but there's another time a charcoal fire shows up, which is going to get us ready for what's about to happen next week. The last time we saw a charcoal fire in the gospel of John, it was with Peter warming himself while he was about to deny Jesus. John 18, 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And so we get a charcoal fire showing back up, but now it's not going to be a fire around which there is a denial. It's a fire that Jesus has made provided breakfast, and there will be restoration on the beach. What for Peter would be a memory about his denials will soon become a memory of how Jesus loves him, and Jesus has plans for him. And isn't it gracious of Jesus to even redeem images in our lives? That we don't want you to think, Peter, about the fire as the place where you deny, but the place where Jesus reminded you that he loved you and had plans for you charcoal fire. John didn't have to say charcoal fire, did he? We would have, if he just said there was a fire, we would, have, we would have gotten it. John wanted us to know there was a charcoal fire because the last place we saw that, a bad thing was happening. An embarrassing thing was happening. A frightful thing was happening. The denial of Jesus. So there's breakfast on the beach 
And Jesus says this line, come have breakfast. Remember when Zach preached this a couple of weeks ago and Zach said to the disciples, peace be with you. And he spoke to them. And there was a phrase that John tells us happened to the disciples after he spoke to them about peace. When the disciples heard this, they were glad. They were glad. But isn't it interesting that Jesus does not just give us a verbal way to understand that our relationship with him is good and that he brings us peace. Jesus actually also provides tangible reminders. It isn't just saying, hey, peace be with you, we're good. It's come eat with me. And that's a totally different level of relationship. To protect myself from my waistline getting too big, I generally don't do breakfast, lunch, or dinner meetings. I'll do coffee meetings. Um, and that also saves the budget a little bit. But I do coffee meetings because those are a little easier. I'm not against breakfast. I do like breakfast. I eat it with my family all the time. But I do these kinds of coffee meetings. But then, like, if, we ever, if you and I ever have breakfast together, you come over for dinner, right? It's like a level up. Because coffee is one thing. Hey, let's go meet at the coffee shop. Let's talk for an hour about whatever. But like having a meal, it's a totally different thing. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives to the disciples. And honestly, for all who are here, that's the invitation that Jesus gives to you. That through the provision of his death and burial and resurrection, you can join him at the table in fellowship. You can turn from your own sins and embrace the offer to come and have breakfast. You can see the provision that he's had. You can be shocked by it, surprised by it, and recognize only Jesus could do this after a night of toil and no fish. Only he could demonstrate his power in this way. So Jesus, even in the disciples' confusion, he demonstrates his power, and he gives them an invitation to the table or to the beach. and says, let's eat. Not only that, but he didn't say, cook it for me. He cooked it for them. Because you'll never be able to out-provide Jesus. You'll never be able to out-serve Jesus. You'll never be able to out-care Jesus. His service, his provision, and his care is more than we could ever give. So here's what I want you to do. Kids in the room, this is important. You're going to have to hold your parents to this. My kids are going to have to hold me and mom to this. Kids in the room, this is where you get to call the shots here for a meal. It may not be breakfast. Breakfast at our house is like eat it really quickly and get on the road because, you know, school starts. It's, you got to be there at 7.30, and that's just a different kind of thing. So here's what I'd like you to do. Take a bit of a slower meal Maybe even this week, maybe even tonight if it hasn't been planned yet. Take a bit of a slower meal sometime this week and have breakfast for dinner. Who likes breakfast for dinner? I love, oh yeah, I love, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. Jesus has provided for you too in different ways. Breakfast for dinner. I want you to take some meal at some point in time, hopefully in the next week, and just have breakfast for dinner. All the things we talked about, breakfast tacos, cereal, whatever that might be, whatever that, that meal is, and I want you to sit at the table. And I want you to talk about three things. Thing number one, 
is you sit with your family or you sit with your friends and you fellowship together. Maybe your community group could even do this. And you ask, answer this question. What are two or three ways that Jesus has provided for us in surprising ways this year? What are two or three ways that Jesus has provided for us in surprising ways this year? And sometimes that takes a little while to think about because we're not used to just reflecting. And so it takes a little bit of reflection. Two to three ways Jesus has provided for us this year. And these don't have to be gigantic ways. These can be, do you remember when I lost my homework and then I found it in my bag? Do you remember when we were scared this was going to happen and instead that happened? Do you remember when I thought that I was going to get my boss angry with me at work and instead he actually told me I did a good job? That was surprising. I was so afraid I messed that up. Two or three ways. That's the first question. What are two or three ways that Jesus has provided for us? Second question. How have you experienced Jesus' hospitality or kindness to you this year? In what ways have you experienced that invitation of come have breakfast? Invitation to fellowship, invitation to sharing, an invitation to his presence with you. So first is his provision, and the second is his hospitality. Third question, and this can be harder sometimes. Third question is, who in your life can you pray that Jesus would invite to follow him? Who in your life could you pray for that Jesus could invite to the meal? Isn't it interesting that even the scriptures end with a meal? Right? In a sense, like that imagery of the marriage supper of the lamb. Like, I'm so glad that food doesn't stop happening because we're in heaven, new heaven, new earth with the Lord. Like, like, it's like, and then we don't eat anymore because that's just an earthly thing. Nope, like feasting, we get to feast. So who would you love to see Jesus change and invite to the table that they might be changed and experience his power, his provision, and his care? And then a follow-up question to that would be just this. How can we serve them? Right? It's not just Jesus showing up and saying, peace be with you, but it's Jesus showing up and also inviting them to the table. So the question is not just who can we pray for, but then how can we serve those people? How can we love them? How can we care for them? Maybe we can invite them over to breakfast for dinner. Maybe we can care for them in a unique way. The disciples, confused, even though they're commissioned, that doesn't stop Jesus from showing up and providing for them in abundant ways. And as they realize who he is, what does he do? But he invites them to fellowship at the table. This is all preparing us for next week when he talks with Peter and has to ask him three times, one for each denial, if he loves him. And we get to see his grace, his mercy, and his plan for his disciples. I look forward to hearing your stories of breakfast for dinner. Kids in the room, tell me how it went. Tell me what you talked about. I want to know those things. Breakfast for dinner. It's a great meal, but a reminder of what Jesus does for us. The invitation to an intimate meal that he provides. He cares.